you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. The book of Psalm, the eighth chapter. How many of you love the word of the Lord? Psalm chapter eight. And I'm going to read verses 1 down through verse number 4 of Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set the glory above the heavens? Notice what he says, above, his glory is above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. Verse 3, and this is where I'm working from this morning. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. That fourth verse, the first three words, what is man? What is man? Do you ever ask yourself those kind of questions? What, who, who am I? What is man? Lord, I pray that you help me handle your word carefully this morning, but that the word of God may impact a heart that you, Lord, may impart to the heart of the hearer today something that would be revolutionary and life-changing, not through my words, but by your spirit and by the anointed word of God. I pray this morning over this congregation, Lord, that we see you exalted and see you for who you are and recognize our frailty and our smallness and your greatness. In 
in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for your worship. Thank you to this praise team for leading us in worship today. I, I hope I hope that I can connect with you in the next few moments. I, I read an article about a picture taken by the Voyager 1 space probe as they, it was a test mission and they were literally taking, pushing the limits of the ability to photograph and send photographs back to planet Earth. And some of you may have seen this, this photo some time back as Voyager 1 was going into the far reaches of space, farther than I suppose we have ever gone before, some 3.7 billion miles, and photographing back into the Milky Way galaxy across. And in the photo that it took, you're able to see Saturn and Jupiter and all of these planets that are there uh, in our galaxy. And then if you look very, very carefully into the blackness of what appears to be nothing, there is a tiny little speck and it is a pale blue dot in the middle of a hazy black screen. And I could see barely, only with glasses on, could I even pick out the little dot. And they says, this is planet earth. I began to ponder on this and think on this idea. And all I could imagine was David and what he was thinking perhaps as he sat on the shepherd's field and looked up and gazed at the stars and the moon. And from his perspective, it brought him to a point of actually crying out to the Lord in his psalm prayer or hymn or song prayer. David was saying, when I consider the heavens, when I look into the heavens and see the vastness and imagine the greatness of a God that created this universe and put the stars in their place. He said, when I consider the heavens, and then interestingly enough, he said, the work of thy finger. He's like, it didn't even take much engagement to be able to recognize that Everything that we are viewing, that David was viewing, he is saying, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars. Obviously, he's gazing into heaven as he is considering the work of the fingers of God. 
which thou hast ordained. And then it brings him to the rhetorical question that I will ask again and again today. What is man? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would take time to visit with him? This caused me to start thinking about how much God thinks of me and how much thought that he put into shaping our lives. Engage your thought with me here for just a moment if I can borrow your creativity to imagine as I unveil this scripture to you this morning and you place yourself at in David's position and you view the heavens, the works of his fingers, and you too cry out to the Lord with this question that I ask today. What is man? As we get in the cars and drive across the state, across the nation, and see the unbelievably beautiful sceneries to stop and think that that little pale blue speck yet even on planet earth, we are so small and insignificant. The planet does not need me to maintain its rotation. It doesn't need me to maintain its orbit. It doesn't need me to control the weather and to be able to cause the things that God put in motion to function as God gave the seed, every seed after its own kind so that in the, in the winter it can die but in the spring it will come back up again. The cycles of life, the creation of God is so amazing at how that he put things into place and yet we feel like because he had placed us a little lower than the angels, but yet gave us dominion over all of the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. It is amazing to me that it is that dominion over the, all the things, the birds, the plants, the animals, everything that is around, everything that we see and interact with, he has given us dominion over it. If we're not careful, we can get a dominion mentality that the entire world revolves around us. We can start thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. We can start believing that God needs me. We can start thinking that everybody needs me and that I am at the center of my own world. When the truth is that we need to recognize our weakness and our frailty and our inability to be able to do much to change anything because God actually created this world so that it would operate the way that he said it would operate and put things into existence the way that he put it into existence. David said that the creations of the heavens were simply his handiwork, the work of his fingers, yet God put 
time into the creation of man. The scripture says, in the image of God created he them. The Lord took knowledge of us. What is it? Why is it that God would pay so much time? In the 144th Psalm, David repeats again, Lord, what is man that thou takest knowledge of him? Or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Sounds very similar to the text that we read this morning. Man, he said, is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. He is looking again at the first time he looks in our text, he is saying, when I consider the heavens now, he is considering the frailty of man. He is considering the greatness of God and the weakness of man. In Psalm 113, David said, who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth upon high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in earth. David is saying that God had to humble himself to be able to even look as lowly to the pale blue dot in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy. God is humbling himself to even realize that we exist. He goes on to say he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and he lifteth up the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren womb to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. David is going on here and he is declaring that God is paying attention to the very smallness of and frailty and weakness of our human life, of our human existence. God He's paying attention. He's even concerned about the barren womb. And he is so concerned about it that he makes a barren womb keep house and, and to live a fulfilled life. He goes on. David also declares as he is talking about man and he is making the comparison to man and he begins to talk about the sparrow and he begins to talk about the very hair on our head that are numbered. Think about this. Here we are just a small little dot in, in the state of Indiana. Here we are uh, pretty insignificant even in our own in our own world. Uh, something happens to me today, my family will go on. The church will go on. Things go on. Yet we can get exhausted, ex exalted and lifted up. That may be words of exhaustion speaking this morning. We can get exalted and lifted up. We can begin to, to to think we are really something. Look at me. Look at my accomplishments. Look at what I have done. Yet here we are so frail and so small. Yet God, the God of heaven that creates the universe, not just us, not just created us, not just created our, our world, not just created our planet, but creates the entire universe, even the stars and the suns and the moon. And he put everything into existence. And David said, what is, what is man that you would pay attention to him? And you even count the number of the hairs of his head. And not only 
only man, but man being the highest creature that you created. He then turns and says, look at the sparrow, the insignificant bird that doesn't do much and doesn't have a lot of jobs in this world, yet you are concerned with him when he falls. If God... If God is so concerned with the sparrow when he falls, how much more is he concerned with you and I? David goes on to try to create this image. He's not building us up and saying, look how important we are. He's saying, look how small we are and look how great God is. But in the middle of our smallness and his greatness, consider the fact that he's paying very close attention to you and I. I think in, 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 in terms of human understanding, I, I'm forgetful. I, I can say uh, my wife will call me or the kids will call me and ask me to do something. and Don't, don't forget. Don't forget. And another one will call me 30 minutes later because they know if I'm not writing it down, I'm, I'm liable to forget. And so they'll call me again and they'll say, um, Dad, uh, can, you, can, you remember, can you remember to... Uh, to, to, to do this or, or to do that. And the reason, the reason for, for that is because we, we humans have a tendency to forget. When the Lord gives us his word and begins to tell us that he, he's watching us and he's concerned about us and he cares about us, we, we see that in the realm of human thinking. We, we see it through our finite mind and we begin to consider God's remembrance according to our remembrance. I was asking Danny this week if he remembered something, and he said, yes, he remembered, but he hadn't yet left his house. So after he left his house, I, I, I had to ask him again, did you, did you remember? And he, he got, oh, finally got frustrated with me, and he finally said, my Lord, how many times are you going to ask me about this? I said, I know you really well, and I know how good an intention you have, but I also know that you might be forgetful if I don't remind you over and again. We, it's, it's human. It's human nature. Some of us are more prone to forget than others, but but God is not prone to forget. And I, I cannot just say to you this morning that regardless what, what you deal with and what kind of pain you've been in and what kind of struggle you're going through and what kind of financial pressure or emotional pressure or family issue or spiritual dilemma that you have been in for a while, can I tell you that God has not forgotten about you? He hasn't forgotten about you. The prophet Isaiah begins to pin in the 49th chapter. He begins to talk about um, uh, the, the, the acclamation of the people of God saying that God hath forgotten them. He said, sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon the, afflict, uh, upon the affliction. And then verse 14, he turns the corner and he says, but when that word is used, he pretty much says, just forget everything that happened before because here's what I'm really, here's the point I'm really trying to make. He says, but Zion, he's speaking of the church, of the modern day church, he, he is using, he is using uh, Zion as, as the modern day church and he says but Zion said the Lord hath forsaken me and my Lord hath forgotten me. He said there's going to be a day that even people in the church are going to start saying the Lord's forgotten about me. God doesn't know where I am. The Lord hath forsaken me. I, I don't know about you but I've been there. 
I've been there a few times when I've said, God, I hadn't heard from you for a while. God, I'm wondering if you, anybody ever been there? When you've wondered, God, do you know where I am? Do you know where I'm at? We're in the minority this morning because the majority of the folks here didn't raise their hand. They must never, ever question. But I'm going to tell you, I've been there in points of despair, in points of need, in points of pain, in points of hurt when I'm saying, God, do you even know where I am? God, have you forgotten about me over here? I'm still serving you. I'm still I'm still doing the work you called me to. But God, I feel like I'm doing it all by myself. I I hadn't had a refreshing in a while. I hadn't heard your voice in a while. I'm praying, but it doesn't seem like you're speaking back. Lord, I'm being faithful, but I'm not not sensing. I'm not feeling anything. I'm I'm just going. I'm walking by faith here and not by sight. God, I think you have forgotten me. I've been there. interesting. The scripture talks about God having record books and that would lead one to believe that God is forgetful. But the truth is, is that God is not forgetful because God even knows the numbers of the hair on your head. So God's not forgetful at all. So what? why in the world would God need record books if God is not forgetful? Why does he need, need a record book? What does he need to write down? Why does he need to do it? I'm going to tell you this morning that what God does, he does for our benefit. And the reason that God has record books is not so that he can go and Look, the Bible says on judgment that there's going to be two books that's open. One's the book of life, and 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 uh, and, and then there, there's another book. And I'm not going to get into these books that he's opening here. And I believe one of the books are the books of all the, the, the deeds of which we've done. And so there's two books that are going to be open. And, 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 and why does God need books if he knows everything? He doesn't need books, but he sent a book to remind. He used this as a parallel because he knows human nature, because he created us. And he God God doesn't, he doesn't need something to remind him. You, 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 you don't have to call up the Lord and say, God, I'm just reminding you over here. I'm just, he doesn't need a reminder, but you and I need to know that he hasn't forgotten. So he said, I'm, I got some books and I'm going to write it down. I'm going to keep some records because there's going to be a day that Zion is going to say, the Lord hath forgotten me. Let me tell you why Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and why there were nails put in his hands it was customary for a man to be tied to the cross but Jesus was nailed to the cross why did he need more pain and anguish no but here is a parallel right there in that scripture where he said Zion's going to say the Lord hath forgotten me but the Lord says back behold I have not forgotten you for I have graven thee in the palm of my hand I come this morning to remind some that God hasn't forgotten you. His hands are before him and he's able to see scars. And it's not because he needs to remember, but because we need to know God hasn't forgotten about me. He is mindful of us. He hasn't forgotten us. As forgetful as we can be at our greatest point of forgetfulness, God is more mindful than we are forgetful. The Lord said, I am the creator and you are my creation. I breathe the breath of life into your nostrils. 
Genesis chapter 1 said that he created us in our own image. My eyes saw you, your unformed substance, Psalm 139 says. And he goes on to say, I knit you together in your mother's womb. Think about this. God was knitting us together in our mother's womb. He goes on to talk about the hairs of our head. And then he goes on in Matthew to tell us that even the hairs of our head head and the sparrows. He says, I've given you dominion over all the sheep and the oxen and the beasts of the fields and the birds of heaven and the fish of the sea. And then he goes on to say, I have crowned you with glory and honor as the pinnacle of creation. Psalm chapter 8 and Genesis chapter 1 both tell us that we are the pinnacle of creation. What I'm coming and trying to declare to you this morning is for somebody that's been walking alone, feeling lonely, feeling like nobody knows, feeling like you're by yourself. Can I submit to you today a God that hasn't forgotten you, a God that knows right where you are, a God that is walking with you, a God that knows about the number of hairs in your head. Man was created in perfect communion with God, but then along comes sin. From the very beginning, the Lord declares, you exchanged the truth about me for a lie. You worshiped and served the, the created things rather than the creator, he says in Romans. He says, you have all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, just as Adam and Eve sinned. The penalty for your sin is death. And in your sin, you are spiritually dead. You're children of wrath, living as enemies unto the Lord. He says, you turned aside from me. It isn't the way God wanted it. It isn't. People say, well, how in the world can God condemn somebody eternally to, uh, uh, to, to such a horrible place as the lake of fire, hell, where the worm dieth? How can God? God didn't. He said, you turned aside from me. It was you that walked away from me. It wasn't God. It was you that walked away from me. You turned aside from me. And, and he goes on and he even says, what you deserve is my judgment. And yet, in my grace love. He said, while you were yet sinners, I was thinking about you and I died for you. While you were still hostile toward me, you were reconciled to me. Romans chapter 5, you were reconciled to me by my death, even the death of the cross. So therefore, sin doesn't have the last word in our life. Grace has the last word in our life. Now, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus has the opportunity to be saved. He goes on in Ephesians chapter Chapter 1, and he says, I have adopted you. I have brought you in. He said, you are children of God. You are heirs and joint heirs. He says, I am your father, and you belong to me. I love you as a father. And then he goes on to talk about man. And if you want to know what man is, I've just laid out and declared to you what man really is. And I've talked about how man has fallen and man has sinned and God had to pay a price of redemption. But then God goes on to declare to those who step through the door of opportunity and have been adopted and have been bought back. He now goes on to say, now you, you are a new creation. 
He says, old things have passed away and all things become new. God said, sin is no longer your master in Romans 6 and Ephesians 2. He said, for you died to sin and now are alive unto me. So there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. He goes on in 1 John to say, all of your sins have been forgiven. He says, all of your unrighteousness has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You have been saved by grace, he declares in Ephesians and in Romans 5. He said, you have been justified by faith. No one is able to snatch you out of my hands. He says in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, and in Hebrews, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I come this morning to tell you, cling to God. If you'll draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh unto us. He goes on. He says, as you seek me and you seek more of my glory, I will transform you into the image of my son. In 2 Corinthians, he declares, one day, he says, you're going to be changed. In 1 Corinthians, he says, one day, you're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. You know what God thinks about man? You want to know what God is saying about man? He's saying man is a little speck, but I created man, and I created man in my image, and I created man so that I could commune with him and and man walked away from me and man fell and I redeemed man but once man makes a decision to come back there's nothing going to be able to stop him and when man turns his life back around there is a hope and there is a promise that you are going to reign with him as kings and priests when he appears John said we shall see him as he is and we will be delivered from the body of this death Revelation said, in God himself shall wipe every tear from our eye and death shall be no more neither there shall there be no more mourning nor crying nor pain you will go into inherit he declares a place that you that he has prepared for us but most of all he goes on to say that we are going to see him face face to face Oh, I hope you've taken this journey with me this morning because man in our weakness, man in our frailty, man in our smallness, man who could never have been able to get to God is going to be able to see him face to face. This is the hope of the church. I come this morning to tell you your salvation is more important than anything in this whole world. You're going to see him. I'm small. I'm nothing. But we're going to see him face to face. It's the hope of the church. It's the hope of eternal life. I'm quickly closing, but he goes on to say, I have called you. I have chosen you. You are now a saint, a servant, a steward, and a soldier. He said, you are a witness and you are a worker. You are victorious. You have a glorious future. You are a citizen of heaven and you are an ambassador of Christ. What is man? I tell you what I am. I am exactly what 
God says that I am. It doesn't matter how the world wants to label me. The world can label me as a Christian and want to talk down about me and look down about me and about my conservative feelings toward the things of this world. And and, and I keep going back to the word of God. Oh, they can talk it down. It doesn't matter. I'm not what they say I am. I am what God says I am. I am blood bought. I am redeemed. I am a child of God. He is mindful of me. He cares about me. He has not forgotten me. I've been accepted. I've been forgiven. I've been, I am loved. I am valuable to him. And I'm going to see him face to face. Come on to the music this morning. I'm closing. The apostle Paul goes on to 1 Corinthians. He says, you have been bought with a price. As soon as we say that, we immediately go to bought with a price. He purchased us with money. No, no. Matter of fact, Paul was very clear. He said, you have been bought with a price, but not, not with corruptible things like silver and gold and money. He said, but you have been bought with an incorruptible. He declares it like this. He said, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You want to know what purchased us? It was his blood. When his blood came streaming down, it Money couldn't buy it. No wonder David, who somehow we term David as the psalmist, and he was a psalmist, but so much of what he had to say was speaking of the coming of Christ as if he was a prophet. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. What, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou art, that thou visitest him? And somehow, through the whole text, and you can go tell everybody you want to, my pastor preached all the way through the whole Bible this morning because I just about did. I quoted passages from just passage after passage that shows us how that we got from our lostness to seeing Jesus face to face. The real issue really comes down to this. How you view yourself. What is man? What am I? I want you to stand with me this morning as you ponder that thought with me. Who am I? What am I? How do you see yourself? I don't need God. I don't need a Savior. I'm doing fine like I am. I preached this message this morning to remind us just how much we need a Savior. It was the very point of our text. It was not just about creation, but about 
our need for a Savior. He's not far from you. He hasn't ran from you and hidden from him, hidden from you. He hasn't hidden his face from you. He's very close. He's right where you are this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed across the room. I just wonder this morning. I wonder if there would be somebody in the house today that would begin to see yourself like God sees you. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants you in right relationship with Him. No matter how far you've drifted, no matter how far you've gone, no matter where you've walked to, there's enough grace and there's enough mercy that the blood still reaches for you this morning. He purchased your salvation so that one day you too, as the redeemed of the Lord, shall stand and you will see him face to face and you will begin to worship him and everything that we've accomplished in this world, everything we have, everything we are, our, our crown, maybe it's metaphorical here, but our crown that we gain, the crown of life, everything that we have, we will cast at his feet because we're going to recognize that we weren't the one that's worthy, but he's the one worthy. He's worthy of your life today. If you are here this morning and it's been a while since you have gotten close to him, I invite you to step from where you are and walk to this altar this morning and just come saying, God, I recognize who I am today and I recognize who you are. And I want to walk in that relationship with you so that when I see you face to face, I hear your words. Well done. Well done. Well done. There's plenty room here in the front now. Come on, join with us in the front of the room today. Come talk to the Lord. Let's just, let's just make these next few moments, let's just create an atmosphere. Let's just make this sanctuary our prayer room. Let's just call upon the Lord today for he's faithful and just to hear you. Speak his name this morning. Call upon his name today. 
come on, call on the Lord today. 